Luke chapter 7, and beginning in verse 36. The Bible says that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? You may be seated. One of my uh, favorite pastimes is, is watching movies. When I lived in Colorado, I had Fridays off and, and when my kids were in school... Kind of like a creeper, I would go to the movies by myself. And uh, when there was a film worth watching, I should say. And as you know, uh, to, to get the most out of any movie, it's important that you understand the setting, and it's important that you understand the lead characters. Not just to know their names, but to realize their stories, their backgrounds, their quirks, their gifts, and the conflict that they must overcome. And I especially enjoy films where I can identify with the protagonist or the, uh, at least one of the lead characters of the film, especially when that character experiences some kind of victory by the end of the movie. And I easily get lost. I don't know if you do this, but I get lost in those movies. I, I kind of feel like I'm part of that film. And I, I've told you this before, but one of my first experiences of this came when I saw the original Karate Kid on the big screen. How many remember this movie? See, I could identify with Daniel Sutton. Come on, somebody. I was a kind of scrawny kid, picked on every once in a while, and I, I go to see this movie, and to see Daniel Sutton uh, win and get the girl at the end, this gave me incredible hope. As soon as the movie was over, I started practicing the cane kick, crane kick. Come on, somebody. 
And so I, I learned a, a few moves, and you know, and, and I've been on this lifelong journey looking for my own Mr. Miyagi. I think that we all love movies, and, and I would say stories in general, where we can feel that we can identify with those characters in that story. And in this text in, uh, of Scripture in Luke chapter 7, we have an incredible, and I'll add, true story with three main characters. And my aim today is to identify each of them, to unpack who they are with the hopes of being able to see and grasp the beauty of this passage. And I would ask you as I, as I move through this text... Do you see yourself in this story somewhere? Can you identify with somebody in this passage? So we will begin by looking at a man by the name of Simon. The name of Simon. You can write this in your notes. We'll be looking, who is Simon? Well, for starters, it is important to know that Simon is a Pharisee. Now, the, the Pharisees, I, I've said this many times, that they, they were a very religious Jewish sect of people. Though they were religious, they had hearts by the vast majority that were far from the Lord. The Pharisees went beyond the teachings of Scripture, the teachings of the law, holding to their own very rigorous standards of righteousness. And anybody who did not line up with their standards of righteousness, they kind of shunned and they considered to be unclean. Now Simon, this Pharisee, invites Jesus to his home for a very notable dinner. And verse 36 says something, he says that they were reclined at the table, suggesting that this is kind of a banquet type gathering. Now guests for these types of meetings would normally recline on couches or, or mats around the table and their feet would be behind them. They'd be kind of extended out. And so this house is full. I want you to get this picture. This house, this is Simon the Pharisee's house. And it is full of very prominent and religious people. Very stuck up people. Alright? And during these types of dinner parties, uninvited outsiders could stand around. This culture was not as individualistic like Western culture is today. Very community based. And so uh, uninvited outsiders could stand along the outskirts and listen in on these prominent leaders around the table. The second trait that I want to point out about Simon is this. That like many Pharisees, Simon is self-righteous. Anybody know some self-righteous folks that think they're better than everybody else? Some of y'all pointing to the person next to you. During the dinner... One of the guests on the outside of the town, or outside, is known as an immoral woman. And we'll talk more about her in a moment. And she does something very culturally shocking. She runs in the middle of this banquet right up to Jesus and begins to interact with him in a very radical way. And even more shocking, Jesus allows this. He doesn't rebuke her. He does not send her on her way. And I want you to look at Simon's response in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. 
And that sounds like some church folks, doesn't it? For she's a sinner. The audacity. Now Simon is self-righteous. What's he doing? He thinks he's better than this woman. Because she's the quote-unquote sinner. And he fails to see the truth that we have all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And thus he is appalled that that Jesus would converse or touch even such a wretched human being. The other characteristic that I want to point out is this, that Simon is very indifferent, specifically towards Jesus. And see, self-righteousness causes this kind of callousness of heart. It causes indifference. Simon is so blinded by his own self-righteousness that he fails to appreciate his own distinguished guest. This isn't just a rabbi. This is not just a teacher. This is not just a prophet. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords at his table. But he does nothing special for him. He doesn't go out of his way in any way, shape, or form. Self-righteousness, see, will do that to us. So Simon is a self-righteous, religious, indifferent Pharisee. We all probably know some people like that. Maybe you've been like that in the past. I hope you're not like that today. We must be careful that we don't get so religious that we think that we're better than other people. We are to walk, the more spiritual we are, the more humble we ought to be. Because the only reason we're here today is because of what we sang about a minute ago. Because of God's grace. Lest we forget that there was nothing good in us. Lest we think that there was something in us that he thought was worth saving. It was, oh, he loved us. He, he loved us. But it's not because of good in us. And some people who haven't done, some Christians who haven't done what they call the big sins. Or the serious sins. What they would Listen, all sin is serious. All sin is serious. But there's some people that haven't done what they would call the in the hierarchy of sins in their mind, the big ones, they think themselves to be above other people. We've got to be careful. And I, I love the culture in this church that you can come in who you are and I think you feel loved and you feel esteemed and you don't feel like you're worthless and, and that other people are looking down at you. This is a place where we love to meet people where they're at. Amen? So that's Simon. But who is this woman? We don't even know her name. She is a notorious, number one, sinner. The Bible just introduces her. I I don't think I'd want to be listed like this in the Bible. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner comes in, right? I wouldn't want to be introduced as a woman (laughs) if they're talking about me or a sinner, right? So... That's how she's introduced. Now, there are many people who've said, I've heard this preached, that this is Mary Magdalene. We don't know that. And as a matter of fact, most scholars would disagree, saying emphatically it's not her, because Luke introduces her in chapter 8. It is likely, because of the wording in this text, that this woman is a former prostitute. Alright? And you, you can get the picture. Here's this religious meeting going on and she's walking in, interrupting. And this is the town prostitute. How many, this would mess up some churches, wouldn't it? Because of this, because of her profession, quote unquote, 
She was not only unwelcome in a meeting like this, but she would have been considered unclean to these Pharisees. She was a complete outcast. She had a label. And I hope you don't feel this way. Uh, See, listen, your past does not have to define your future. You don't have to wear the label of who you used to be. the, The alcoholic, the addict, the adulterer. The liar, the cheat, whatever it might be, you don't have to wear that label anymore if you are in Christ because He sets you free from those things. And I don't know about you, but my Bible says, my Bible says that when we're in Christ, that we are a new creation. That means old labels are gone. They're passed away. Hallelujah. My past does not have to define my future. Hallelujah. And so this woman had a label and the religious folks, because of who she was, they're looking down at her and judging her. She was considered an outcast. She's a sinner because of her sin and others' reaction to it. Secondly, she was broken. See, sin causes brokenness in every human being. Apart from Christ, we are all but a broken people. Amen? We're unable to help ourselves. And in her brokenness, I hate this, the religious shunned her. Church, let's never be accused of shunning the broken because of their sin. And let's meet them where they're at and let's show them the grace and love of a mighty God. In her brokenness, the religious shunned her, thinking to themselves again, Man, we're better than her. But I thank the Lord today that He's not like the Pharisees. Come on. Shunning the sinner. Hallelujah. For the Bible declares in Psalm 34, 18 that the Lord is what? He is near to the brokenhearted. If you feel broken today, I want you to know that God is not far from you. He is near to you. He is pursuing you, friend. Don't feel like because of your brokenness, even when it's your own fault, even when you've made your own bed and have to lie in it, I want you to know the Lord's grace can cover you. He is pursuing you today. So don't feel like you have to avoid God because of something you've done or where you've been. Listen, you need to repent and you need to run to His arms. It's like the prodigal son. You remember the story. The son went off and squandered his living on prostitutes and all these other things. He took an inheritance from his father before he was even dead and went out and and, and just spent the whole thing and he was ashamed. And he found himself in the pen with the pigs eating the pods that they were eating. And he thinks to himself, oh, if I could just go back to my father's house as a hired servant. And he's walking kind of shamefully down the road back to his father. Some time had gone by. And before he could even get to the doorstep, his father is running, running as he sees him coming. His father is watching and waiting for him to return. And he runs to him and he braces him and he throws a party that evening because his son has come home. And that's what God will do for you. Don't feel like you have to go shamefully today and to run to the, running to the arms of a mighty God. Repent and run to His arms with great boldness and great hope because He loves you and He cares for you. 
It's assumed that at some point that this woman has encountered Jesus prior to this banquet. Because here's what the Bible says, verse 37, second part there, says, When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This woman's reaction to Jesus shows that she had some kind of encounter, some kind of faith in Him. That she had experienced to some level His grace and compassion in some way, shape, or form. And Jesus' reaction to her, forgiving her of her sins, I believe shows that she has indeed repented. She is known in the town, see, as a notorious sinner, but she has experienced great brokenness because of that. But now... Because of her encounter with Jesus, because of the revelation of who Jesus is, the third thing I want you to see is that she is a worshiper. Isn't it amazing that Jesus can take the most wretched sinner and turn that person into the best worshiper in a room full of religious folk? Amen. Don't you ever come in here feeling that because you didn't grow up in church that you're lacking something. God can take somebody who's never stepped foot in a church in one encounter, turn to them, teach us all how to worship in spirit and in truth. This woman, no doubt, being impacted by Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful. She goes to absolute extreme measures to worship Him. Now get this. Her knowledge of Christ... In her experience with Christ leads to the worship of Christ. That is what should happen when we learn about our God. When we encounter our God. See, our knowledge of Christ and our experience with Christ should move us to the genuine worship of Christ. It's been said like this, that theology should always move us to doxology. And if you're not familiar with those words, I'll break it down. It means that when you read something in the Bible that's truth, and you get a little revelation about who Jesus is, it ought to to just automatically cause a praise to come out of you. That ought to be the goal. Listen, my job is not just to entertain you. I don't need a high five going, great sermon, great sermon, great sermon. You know what I want? I want you to listen, and I want you to get the truth of what's being preached. And I want you to... Be overflowing with praise. Not for me, but for Him. I want you to be bubbling over with praise. Because that's what truth should do. This woman brings an alabaster flask. Now, remember the picture. A bunch of religious folks in a meeting. And see, when you're desperate for Jesus, and when you really get a glimpse of who He is, you don't wait. You you don't wait to worship. You don't wait for the quote-unquote right time. When you get a revelation of who He is, you'll just begin to praise Him right then and right there. I don't care if you're in the checkout aisle at Walmart. You can have a praise fit in aisle 22. It don't make any difference. She goes right in a meeting. This isn't a church service. And she begins to do this. So she she brings an alabaster flask, which would have been used to store very costly perfume or, or ointments. And these flasks... They they were uh, very nice and they would be broken at the top to pour out this type of perfume or ointment. And and worship, see, for this woman was about giving, about pouring something out. This was an incredible sacrifice that she's doing here. She didn't need her favorite song 
play. She didn't say, uh, keyboardist, give me a C. I'm a... She didn't need her favorite song sung. She didn't need somebody to preach her happy. She just needed Jesus. She just needed Jesus. And this consumer um, type of religion that we have in America today, we, we got to have somebody. It's hard work to get people to praise. Well, we, we sit around, well, we need to do this type of song. We need this, and we got to preach this way. And then maybe somebody, listen, we don't need all that. All we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. If you were on a desert island with no instrument, not a song, no, nobody leads you in singing, listen, you can praise Him all by yourself. You can praise Him all by yourself. So she begins to worship Him. And here's what she does. She, she anoints Him with His oil and she falls at His feet. Remember, His feet are, are behind Him, extended behind Him. Probably unable to touch His head. She, be, she falls at His feet. And she begins to weep and weep and weep. Can you imagine the religious folks? What is she doing? And she's crying and begins to wash his feet with her tears. And with no towel, she, she does something incredible here. Something that would have been considered very disgraceful at this time for a woman. She let her hair down in public. And she began to dry his feet. This is incredible. This is radical. See her label as a prostitute. She could have thought to herself, what are people going to think of me if I fall at the feet of Jesus? And I do this disgraceful thing by letting my hair down. And I begin to wash His feet. They're going to think I'm hitting on Jesus. But she didn't care. And I would just say to you, who cares what people think? Man, worship Jesus. Worship Him. He's worthy. Worship Him. If there's a song in your heart, sing it. If you feel like crying, cry. Well, don't, don't, listen, don't say, oh, well, they're not going to think I'm tough. Listen, tough men love Jesus. Amen. Your wife ought to love you and, and adore you and think you're the manliest guy in this place if you weep in the presence of Almighty God. I'm not saying that every time we're in, in His presence that we have to cry or respond in a certain way. I'm just saying, whatever it is the Spirit's doing in your heart, whatever it is you feel led to do, don't worry about who's on the left or right or in front of the side. Just praise Him. Just worship Him. So, she begins to, to worship Him in, in this radical way. All in front of a religious and uptight people. She's so incredibly overwhelmed by His presence. She doesn't care who sees her. Hope inspires somebody today. This woman is a changed woman. She went from the notorious sinner to the best worshiper in the room because of an encounter with Jesus. Finally, we have one more person in this story. Most important, and that's Jesus. Who is Jesus? We could talk forever about the attributes of Christ. We know of His deity, He's Savior, He's Lord, He is the Son of God. He lives today as our Redeemer. He is the risen Savior. But in this passage, there's something. I was in the middle of Starbucks on Thursday. I've never seen it before. And I'm telling you, I was, I was uh, texting my uncle. I had to share it with someone. But in this passage... I see the threefold office of Jesus Christ called the Munis Triplex. How many know what the Munis Triplex is? 
Really? I'm just joking. The Munis Triplex is the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king of Jesus Christ. This is so awesome. Let me explain this. In the Old Testament, you had some who were prophets, you had some who were priests, and you had some who were kings. And these offices were part of the governance of Israel. They were, they were that, and they were wonderfully that, but they were so much more than that. Remember, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to, to the new. It's making way. It's, it's pointing to something, actually somebody. It's pointing to Jesus. And so there was something much more significant. These offices pointed ahead to their future realization in Jesus Christ, who is our perfect prophet, He is our perfect priest, and He is our perfect king. And I've preached this passage many times over the last 17 years of ministry, and I've never seen this before, but this munis triplex, this threefold office is present right here in this text. Number one, Jesus is prophet. Look at verses 39 and 40. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Simon, and, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Simon says to himself, Jesus is not a prophet. Now, that's important that you understand. He said to himself, he either said this in his mind. I mean, y'all just talk to yourself in your mind all day long. Yeah? Or he maybe spoke it very, very softly where nobody else could see him. He's not a prophet. As he lets this woman worship him in this way, interact with him in this way. And yet Jesus calls Simon out. He shows that he knows Simon's thoughts. What he said to himself, showing that he's indeed a prophet. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the all-sufficient prophet. See, a prophet in the Old Testament would do more of just foretelling events, but he would declare the will and the ways of God just as Moses did. A prophet in the Old Testament, what would they do? They would speak the word of God. Well, Jesus is the Word of God. I I love what John said. He said, the Word of God became flesh and He dwelt among us. See, Jesus is the eternally perfect prophet. Secondly, He holds the office of the high priest as well. In our text, to illustrate why this woman is behaving in such an odd way, in this kind of unorthodox way, Jesus gives us a parable about two debtors whose debts are canceled. This is an analogy, as you probably caught on to, of sin with debt. And Jesus, as our high priest, has taken care of our debt. Amen? Colossians 2.13 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of our trespasses. Watch this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. See, under the old covenant, the high priest served as the mediator between a holy, righteous God and an unholy, 
unrighteous people. And the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would sprinkle the blood of the animal sacrifice on the mercy seat for the atonement of the sins of the people of God. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 11 through 14. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come. Even through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer. Sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more with the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He is our high priest. See, like the high priest of the Old Testament, Jesus entered into the holy places. But unlike the high priest of old, he only had to go one time because he gave the perfect sacrifice And He didn't carry in an animal sacrifice and pour their blood. No, He went in with His own shed blood. He sprinkled His own blood upon the mercy seat. And He did it once and for all because He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He is prophet, He is priest, and He's King. In verses 48 and 49, He said to this woman, Your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? See, as king, as ruling authority, Christ declares this woman sins to be forgiven. As king, He receives her worship. And I would say that He's not just a king, nor is he just the king, he's the king of kings. Jesus is is our king, get this, he does not allow sin to reign in our life anymore. Sin does not have dominion over the believer anymore. Not only does he cancel our debt as our high priest, but he's broken sin's ruling power in our lives as our king. Romans 6, 14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law. Hallelujah. But we're what? Under grace. Under grace. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Sin is not your king if you are in Christ. This woman that came in with the issues, who was a maybe a prostitute for years. See, why would she worship in this way? Because Jesus is now king and he's freed her from the brokenness and the dominion of that sin that plagued her life maybe for years. He's king. He's prophet. He's priest. And he's king. This passage in Luke is an incredible, moving story. And it's an 
it's even better because it's a true story. How many like true stories? I love movies and you see it come up. This is based on a true story. This is not just based on a true story. It is a true story. Do you see yourself through one of these characters? Maybe it's Simon. Maybe you're religious, but you're indifferent in worship. You're indifferent in Bible study. You're indifferent towards Jesus. Maybe your heart is becoming calloused. Maybe you just see Jesus as a moral teacher, a a good guy with some good things to say, but not a Savior. If that's you today, I pray that you would see Him as so much more than just a rabbi or a Bible teacher. He is prophet, He is priest, He is king. And He's the only way to salvation. Listen, religious person, no matter how good you think you are, you can't make it by your own merit. Your only hope is to fall into the arms, to believe in, to yield to Jesus Christ. I pray today that you would believe upon His death and His burial and His resurrection and that you would quit trying to make it on your own and rely on Him, rely on His strength and His grace. Maybe today you see yourself as this woman before she encountered Christ. Maybe you came in here today feeling like the outcast. I hear this all the time. People say, if I show up, the church might burn down. Maybe you came in feeling that way today. Maybe you feel like this woman entering into a religious meeting that you don't belong to. Well, I want you to know that's a lie from the enemy. You belong here. You belong here. My prayer is that you'll respond like this woman responded in worship and giving your life to Jesus Christ. What a, what a tragic story if this woman would have just left as a prostitute bound and broken as she came in. She didn't. She left as the most blessed person in the room outside of Jesus. She left showing those religious folks what's up. She left so differently than she came in. I want you to leave differently if this is you than you came in today. So maybe you identify with this woman today. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, no matter this woman was a prostitute, and Jesus allows her to break up this meeting and demonstrate this radical worship in front of a bunch of religious uptight folks. Today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I pray that you'd call upon the name of the Lord today. I'd love to pray with you. Oh, I'd be so grateful to be able to pray with you today. Maybe, and I would say most of us in here, can relate to the woman after her encounter with Jesus. We know we've sinned. And we know that we've been forgiven. Here's what I pray for us today. That something would awaken in our hearts. And that as our team leads us in just a moment in worship, that we wouldn't hold back that we would just be bubbling over with worship. That we would remember where He's brought us from, the things He's brought us through. He's a faithful God. 
So whether you're broken today, whether you think you're where you need to be, let's respond in the same way with worship to our great King. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me?